hope everybody's staying healthy and keeping their sanity through right now. I kind of waited on recording this podcast for a couple of days because there's been a lot of changes going on, and I wanted to kind of process through and see what those look like before I said anything else. So welcome to this week's episode of The Layman's Medicine. It's going to be COVID-centered again. I know that everybody's getting kind of tired of hearing about the coronavirus, but I feel like there's a lot more misinformation going on right now, and I feel like we need to break that down. So let's start off by talking about why this was an interesting week. I think the most interesting thing that happened this week is that we realized how bad things actually are. Up until this point, we've been going off of bad information, and I don't want to blame the Chinese government, but I feel like they withheld a lot of facts from us. Looking at the numbers and the death tolls from Italy really shows us that this is a lot worse than we were told, a lot worse than we were prepared for. Unfortunately, with their death tolls climbing, their percentage is getting closer and closer to 10% of those people who were infected dying of it. We're realizing that that information from China wasn't correct. In fact, there's been some talk that Chinese officials have come out saying that the information wasn't correct based on the cremation records. So what that means going forward is, is that we need to take this a lot more seriously. That doesn't mean that anybody should panic. In fact, panicking is the absolute worst thing you could do right now. Most places are closed down, and there's a reason for that. So everybody's asking, why is everywhere closed down? Well, that's because we're not good enough at social distancing on our own. We have to close down places where people tend to congregate, where people tend to spend a lot of time around other people, because unfortunately we can't take this six feet thing, this not shaking hands, this not hugging thing far enough. The numbers this week really showed that this is worse than we thought and worse than we were prepared for. I don't want to say that the Chinese government lied to us, but they didn't give us accurate information. The death tolls in Italy have shown that this is a lot more dangerous than we thought. And I know that everybody says that Italy is Europe's retirement community, and that's true. There are a lot of people living close to each other. But when you look at the infrastructure and the setup of China, most of the families there are multi-generational living in the same house. So there has been some talk that the cremation records from China were released, and those numbers do not match up to the numbers of reported COVID deaths. Unfortunately, what this means for us is that we're in for a lot more work. The medical community is not prepared and is not ready for what's coming up. That's why it's important that if you think you have this, you call your doctor, you call an urgent care, you call a hospital. The absolute worst thing you can do is ignore it and act like it's just going to go away. If you're a positive test, you need to stay home. You need to self-quarantine. You need to limit contact or remove contact with other people because that's how this spreads. This spreads through human-to-human contact or contact with contaminated surfaces. We do know that that still is true. There is some information coming from the New England Journal of Medicine that's saying that there might be a little bit more of an airborne component, but not in the way you'd think. It's showing that particles that are put into airborne are staying airborne longer than we initially expected. It showed up to three hours if it was put airborne by aerosol-generating activity. So most hospitals, most Physicians, clinics, most surgeon cares aren't doing pulmonary functions tests anymore. They aren't doing breathing treatments anymore because that generates an aerosol, which can lead to the virus hanging out in the air. 
So I'd like to remind everybody that there is a difference between being prepared and being panicked. If you panic, you make things worse. That's why there's so many countries and states and cities that are shutting things down to essential-only services. What they're trying to do is they're trying to minimize the spread of this virus. I know that everybody's seeing everything on flattening the curve. And regardless of what you think about that, regardless of if you believe the math, if we don't do something, this is only going to get worse. Right now, they're developing a vaccine, but that's still a really far time off. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this later, but there's not really a great treatment for it currently. So what does this mean? This means that only go out when you need to. Clean everything while you're at your job. Make sure that you're covering any coughing. Make sure that you're limiting exposure with people. Work from home if you can. And the most important thing you can do is just look for opportunities to help each other out. Right now is a really tough time for everybody. And the more that we can do for each other, the better. We're not used to not having an enemy that's a person in the United States and the world. And right now we have an enemy that isn't a person. What that means is, is that it's our responsibility to help each other out, to look for opportunities, to lighten the load of somebody, to not just clap for healthcare workers, to not just clap for grocery workers, but to make their lives easier. It's not really your thanks that they need, it's your support that they need, and that's more important than anything else you can do. So get only what you need from the store. It doesn't help anybody if you hoard things. Make sure that you're keeping your exposure to anybody else at a minimum in these situations. Try to shop at non-peak hours and only go out when you need to. This doesn't mean that you need to fill up four or five grocery carts full of food that you're just going to throw away. This means that you need to be smart you need to think and you need to be prepared. I know that's a lot to ask of the general population, but at this point, that's really all we can do. So up until this point, this has all been doom and gloom, but there is some good news. The pharmaceutical and medical company Abbott has been, or did buy out a company called Lear a little while back. Basically what it is, it's a test that you can use in office to check for flu, respiratory virus, you can also check for strep. It's a really quick test. It's really accurate. Well, over this weekend, they released news that they're releasing a test cartridge for COVID. And I will tell you, in the medical community, that's probably the best thing we could have heard. Right now, we're telling people that we'll call them back in two to three days, which is an improvement over the initial test. But still, you can't even imagine somebody sitting there not knowing if they have this, not knowing if they've exposed their family. With the Abbott ID now machine that they've just released test cartridges for, which we don't have yet. It was literally just released in press conference and do not believe that Trump had much to do with this. I don't want to get political, but this was on the company that made it. This is on the FDA for pushing it through approval. This is on the medical community for demanding a better test for what's going on. Basically what this is, it's a swab, the same thing as the other one, but instead of sending it out to a laboratory, you can run it in the physician's office, in the hospital, in the urgent care, get results back in 5 to 13 minutes. What that means is we aren't just going to have an influx of a different test, we're going to have an influx of a quicker test and potentially more accurate test. Abbott has already come out and saying that they'll be able to produce about 50 million of these in a month, which is way more than we've had before. And right now, this is the best news that we've had in the medical community since the start of this. 
knowing that not only can we tell someone before they leave the office if they need to worry about infecting other people and if they need to tell the people that they've been around that they've been exposed, trying to once again flatten the curve and minimize everything, but also it's that peace of mind knowing that healthcare workers who are sick can be tested to see if that's what they've come down with so they're not spreading it to other patients. I don't quite know when this is going to be available in most hospitals and physicians' clinics, but Abbott did say that they're ramping up production and they're going to be able to produce quite a few. This doesn't mean that everybody's going to have it. My office has one of these machines, but not every office does. You have to be fairly large and do quite a few of the flu tests in order to have one of these, so don't expect for every physician's office or urgent care to have one. But for those that do, this is going to be a game changer. So as far as treatment goes, we really don't have one. There's been some trials overseas with compassionate use cases for them to use an antiviral medication, much like what's given for the flu, but not what's given for the flu. That doesn't mean that you should rush out to the store and buy all of the Tamiflu, because that is specifically for the flu. This is a medication that I talked about previously that was made by a manufacturing company during the SARS panic. It was put on the shelf because SARS basically faded out and it wasn't set for widespread release. What they did do is they pulled it back out during this because the coronavirus and SARS are very similar in treatment. So the test cases they did, they combined this with a medication, which we know is Plaquenil. I don't want to say the other word for it because that's already been dragged through the media enough. Basically what it is, it's an anti-malarial medication. I haven't seen anybody that's really been able to describe the exact mechanism that it uses in order to actually treat the coronavirus. But what this means is that you shouldn't rush out to every pharmacy. You shouldn't call your physician and ask for a prescription for Plaquenil. There are people that take this medication for lupus and require this medication to control their symptoms. So if you panic by this medication, all you're doing is taking medication away from somebody that needs it and that can actually use it. They haven't really done much testing to show if it's effective on its own or if it needs to be combined with another antiviral, but do not panic by this medication. There are people that require this medication that depend on it. And all you're doing is hurting those people if you panic by this. The other thing that is promising, but also in very small quantities as far as testing goes, is azithromycin, which is an antibiotic that we use for upper respiratory infections. You might know it as a Z-Pack. You take two on day one and take one daily till it's gone. One of the most common antibiotics that we prescribe for respiratory things they found that it may help shorten or at least alleviate the symptoms to an extent of the coronavirus. Alleviate might be a strong word. It's just maybe suppress some of them. We're not really quite sure because, once again, the testing for this has been very limited. And I think that's really what comes down to this is we have a very limited lack of information, a very limited lack of testing. And at this point, we really don't know. So accept that. If you ask your doctor something and they say, I can't tell you anything on that, I don't know, it's not because they're a bad doctor, it's just because we don't have information. Right now, we're just a couple months into something that is a lot worse than we expected and a lot worse than we were told. And unfortunately, the responses from governments, not just the United States, but from everybody's governments, haven't really been what they should have been. And unfortunately, we're starting to see that with the increased infections, the lack of, lack of testing supplies, 
lack of PPE, which is a personal protective equipment that we wear, and also in the lack of treatment. Everything we're doing right now is being pushed through the FDA because it needs to be, because people's lives are in danger. So unfortunately, we can't do the appropriate testing because we don't have time. Normally, when drug manufacturers make something, it's a very long process. They do a lot of double-blind tests. They do testing on the medication on cells, on animals. Eventually, it gets to human testing and widespread testing. So there's a lot of clinical trials that it goes through before it actually reaches manufacture. Right now, we're just kind of grasping at straws, hoping that something helps. So probably the most important thing that we need to focus on right now now that this is a pandemic, now that there is such widespread concern for it, is maintaining resources for the people that really need it. Granted, we are seeing that there are people that are younger and healthy dying of this, but the percentage is a lot lower. I don't know if we can really trust the initial information that was given to us from China as far as the effects on different age groups, but we are seeing that people that are falling into what we consider adult respiratory distress syndrome are going to be the elderly, the immune compromised, the people that aren't able to fight off the infection and aren't able to do much themselves. A lot of times when somebody gets another respiratory virus like the flu, when someone's in a weaker immune state, they get pneumonia or they get the adult respiratory distress syndrome, which is normally fatal. So what we can do right now is we can minimize contact Make sure that you're giving space to people with weak immune systems, but also we don't want to overcrowd the hospitals. So what this means is, number one, don't do stupid shit. Number two, don't do stupid shit. Number three, manage your symptoms as you can and use the hospital as a last resort. What we're seeing in places like New York is they're actually setting up treatment clinics outside of their hospitals. And the unfortunate part is they're setting up morgues outside of the hospital, too. So what's happening is, is the emergency rooms and the ICUs are being overrun with patients, not just normal patients, but patients with the coronavirus, and they're reaching capacity or actually exceeding capacity. This is not good because it puts a lot of strain on the physicians, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of the news where there's doctors dying of this. Now, that's not in every case that they weren't wearing personal protective equipment, there's some times where the doctor decided that the life of the patient was more important than his or hers. So they decided that in a situation with a lack of personal protective equipment that they were going to treat patients anyways. And in those cases, they're probably not going to make it. Whenever a doctor is working that much, whenever a nurse is working that much, Whenever a patient care tech is working that much, they're weakening their immune system because they're not sleeping. They're under constant stress. They're probably not eating right. And that puts them at a higher risk for infection. So what you need to do is limit your exposure. Make sure that you're only going to the hospital when needed. And make sure that you're calling ahead to confirm with the hospital that you'll be able to go there. And so that they can triage or talk with you about your symptoms before you go in. This is perhaps the worst thing and the scariest thing about this virus is the hospital overcrowding. And Dr. Mike on YouTube has talked a lot about this. He's a better source for this because he's currently in New York working with these patients. But basically what it's going to come down to is doctors are going to have to make the choice of who to ventilate. 
of which life they're going to save. And that's got to be the hardest choice they'll ever make in their life. They can make it based off of who's more likely to survive, but there's no way that they don't go home wishing they could have saved both people. So this is where it really comes into fact that if you don't need to be at the hospital, don't go. Stay home, treat your symptoms. If you feel like you're getting worse, call your doctor, call the hospital, ask them for advice, ask them if you need to be there. And the same and minimize your risk for other things. This is not the time to be doing jackass-style tricks and injuring yourself because you could be taking a bet away from someone that really needs it. So I feel like another thing that needs to be addressed from this week, we're basically out of personal protective equipment in most places. Hospital nurses are wearing surgical masks over their N95 masks because they just can't get enough in. They're reusing masks, they're wearing them for longer than they should, and it's not just them, it's everywhere. Unfortunately, people panic bought all these masks and are selling them for ridiculous prices on the internet, and that's taking it away from the people that need it. I know there's been a lot of philanthropist millionaires out there who have donated massive amounts of these masks to hospitals around the country, and those people haven't done these as press releases. I don't want anybody out there thinking that they're just doing this for media attention. And if they are, at least they're helping people. So yeah, you can hate them for their donations and saying they could have donated more, but at this point, anything that they can donate is incredible. In my office, I had some patients call in and ask if we could use some face masks because they were normally traveling overseas and they didn't need them. And that was the point when I realized that community and helping each other is going to be so important. If it weren't for them, we wouldn't have any in my office. We'd be completely out. We wouldn't have them for staff. We wouldn't have them for patients. And this is just surgical masks. So that means that the hospitals are having an even harder time finding the more expensive, but more protective than 95 masks, because that's the first thing that everybody ran to the stores to buy. You can't get them at Lowe's. You can't get them at Home Depot. You can't get them on Amazon. And that's a big problem for people that are relying on these things to keep them safe. I don't think everybody realizes this, but those nurses in the hospital, that's really what's protecting them is their face shields, their face masks, and their gloves. And if we run out of those, they're going to have to make the choice like that physician overseas did, whether it's more important to treat patients and save them or to protect themselves. I know a lot of nurses and doctors that are working in high-risk areas are actually self-quarantining from their families. They're coming home, they're throwing their clothes directly in the washer, they're taking a shower, and then they're sleeping somewhere away from everybody else because they don't want to contaminate their families, knowing that they've been exposed. So you might say, well, if they don't have symptoms, they're safe, but we are seeing some cases of pre-symptomatic spread or asymptomatic spread. What this means is either somebody's not showing symptoms, but they're still shedding the virus, or they haven't started showing symptoms yet and are still spreading the virus. So I'd ask for you to consider that if you're working in a field where you're being exposed with this constantly, is who are you exposing on a daily basis in your family and your friends? And think about if it's necessary, can you distance yourself from these people or what precautions can you take to make sure that they stay safe? On that same effect, I would like to call out somebody in the media 
who is claiming that medical offices are selling face masks for profit. We're not. We wouldn't. I could have a patient come up and ask to give me $100 for 20 face masks and I would turn them down. Because we can't get them. We're not in the field of selling things to make money if that's the only thing keeping our staff and our patients safe. We can't even buy them ourselves. There's no way we could sell them. And if there is a medical office that's selling them, I don't have any words for them other than I hope that they get what they're giving. I hope that they reap their sowing because right now we need everything we can get. The FDA has decided not to push through approval for the KN95 masks that they've been using overseas. And unfortunately, all of the stockpile of these surgical masks are mainly overseas we're 30 days away from them, even if we ordered them from a wholesale supplier. So no, we're not selling our masks. We're not selling our face shields. We're not selling any of that unless it's to another office that needs it. And we're selling it for the same price that we bought it for. Right now, physicians' offices are getting hit really hard with not seeing many patients. There is a switch to telemedicine, which I'll talk about in a second. But they're not in it for money. If they were, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. If they're still open right now and they're seeing sick patients and potentially exposing themselves and their staff to the coronavirus, there's no way that they'd be selling their face masks. If I had enough 95 masks to sell, I wouldn't, I would just make sure that my staff was safe. Even if I had enough surgical masks, I wouldn't, I would just make sure my staff was safe. That's our top priority. It doesn't do any good if you have a million dollars and you're the last person alive. So I mentioned telemedicine a little bit. There's actually been expanded coverage from pretty much every insurance company for phone medicine, for video medicine. Video is going to be preferred by most physicians because it's easier for them to submit documentation for. and also gives you a conversation with the patient. You can actually see them can take a look at a wound if they have one, can see if their color's right. So right now, where I'm at, most places are covering at least video medicine, but most are also covering telephone medicine. So this means that you can call your doctor, and if they feel it's appropriate, you can set up an appointment. You can be seen on a video chat. Right now we're using Doxy because it's safer than some of the other ones and a lot easier for patients. And it's working pretty well. It allows the physician to still see patients. It allows for routine medicine to continue without people leaving their homes and exposing themselves to potentially dangerous viruses, even outside of COVID, because we're still seeing a lot of flu going around. Unfortunately, that flu happens to be influenza A, which is a very bad version of the flu. If, well, at some point I'll probably do a breakdown of the differences between the two flus, but right now I'd rather focus on the coronavirus. So it is an option for most physicians, for most clinics. Medicare has released guidelines saying that they'll pay the standard amount of an office visit for a video visit, which is good because right now a lot of the main physicians are hurting. The hospitals are overcrowded and the primary physicians, primary care physicians are being underutilized. So if you feel sick, call your doctor, see if they can do a telephone visit See if they can do a video visit. This is a good option besides going straight to the hospital. If you're concerned about what precautions you need to take, uh, 
it's a good option for that too. So I guess probably the most important question that we're getting asked on a daily basis is what does this look like? Do we have an expected time frame for this to be over? We don't. Unfortunately, right now, we're lacking so much information about this virus that we don't know a lot of things. So if your physician says, I don't know, we don't have information, that doesn't mean they're a bad doctor. That just means that they don't know. Right now, we have such limited information. A lot of it's because of misinformation. A lot of it's because we don't have the time frame that we normally would need to get research done on something like this. So there's a lot we don't know. Are things going to be closed down for two weeks, two months? Is this a year-long thing? We don't know. Is this going to come back next year? We don't really know. So at this point, we can focus on the things we do know. We need to distance ourselves from each other. We need to minimize contact. We need to stay home if we're sick. We need to treat the symptoms. If we can't treat the symptoms or if things are becoming unbearable, we need to call our doctor. We need to call an urgent care. We need to call a hospital. We need to get treatment. We need to focus on helping each other right now more than ever. For the first time in human history, recent human history, we all have a common enemy, which is something that could either cause a lot of growth or it could cause a lot of division. I'm hoping for the former. So for now, I think the best thing we can do is just keep an eye on things. Make sure that we're doing as much as we can to prevent spread. We need to stop panic buying. We need to focus on self-containment, self-quarantine. We need to get more information for more testing. And then we need to see what things look like. So I know a lot of people are panicking because everything's closing down. I know there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs. I know there's a lot of people who have had their hours cut. And this is where that community comes into play help each other. Another interesting thing from this week, I did see an article that showed that people are going through the stages of grief because of this, because their world suddenly changed. Their normal life was turned upside down and they're processing this the same way that they would a death or their own disease. So this is normal. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of anger we're seeing a lot of denial, and we're seeing a lot of bargaining. I don't know how many people are going to get to acceptance, but this is something to think about. Because it's the same thing. We've lost part of our society. A lot of people have lost family. A lot of people have lost friends. A lot of people have lost their livelihood. And it's okay. This is going to be a sad time for a lot of the world. And once again, I'd like to reinforce the community, but from a distance aspect. Right now would be a really good time for you to reach out to any friends of yours that have depression, check in on them, but also check in on your strong friends. Because of everything going on, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more people in depressive states. I'm sure we're going to see a jump in suicide rates. So check up on people. Make sure that you're doing everything you can to help people 
who aren't able to process this, if you've already made it to acceptance, it's your job to help people. So at this point, I'd like to do a quick summary. Uh, Too long, didn't listen, if you would. So things are bad. They could get worse, but that's why we need to prevent things from getting worse by taking the advice from physicians, taking advice from the CDC, distancing ourselves, and reducing contact. We do have a new test that just recently came out. I don't have a lot of details on it. All I know is that it's going to be very quick, We're actually using a very similar test format for flu currently, and it works great. Medication, not really a thing yet. There's some promising medications, but the biggest thing you can do, do not run out and buy Plaquenil. If you need to look up to see what I'm talking about, just type in Plaquenil, and you'll see what the generic name is for it. I don't want to use that because everybody's been panicking over it. There has been some promising treatment shown with azithromycin, but the number of the people that we've treated are not high enough. For the love of everything, do not drink aquarium cleaner. The best thing we can do right now is once again, maintain good hygiene, wash, use hand sanitizer, distance ourselves from each other. We don't want to overcrowd the hospitals, so not the best time for you to do that stunt trick in your backyard. Make sure that you're only going to the hospital when absolutely necessary, both to minimize you catching anything and also to leave those beds for people that need them. Use your physician's telehealth services, your insurance's telehealth services, anything that's available or call the hospital or urgent care before you go. So in summary this week, We've discovered that the numbers are a lot worse than we thought. We're starting to see a lot higher death toll in Italy than we did in China. But this isn't a reason to panic, because panicking is the worst thing we can do. The best thing we can do is prepare. So, hopefully we'll have some good news for next week. Have a good week.